What up, everybody? This is Angel, and you're listening to Breaking Cycles. On Breaking Cycles, you'll hear me talk one-on-one with different guests to bring perspective and to give a voice to people that are normally not heard. I'll speak to social workers, paramedics, people that are homeless, musicians, professors, and anybody who's willing to sit down and talk to me. For this episode, my first episode, I'll actually be interviewed myself. I'll be speaking to Adrian Montoya, the host of MindPig Podcast. He recently posted on Facebook that he was looking for people to interview, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity for me to record an introductory episode to Breaking Cycles, and at the same time help someone who needed a guest. But without any further ado, let's get to it. So when I made that post, what did you think? Just out of curiosity. So I, I'm, I'm starting a podcast myself. Um, I already have a bunch of uh, episodes recorded for more than one, actually. And I saw the post, and it was just interesting because I, I, I'm trying to start networking with people, and the pos- podcasting community is really, there's, there's just a lot of, like, networking and a lot of helping of one another. So I figured, you know, this is kind of my opportunity to do two things. Start to network, connect with someone who's also doing it, and I myself am starting a podcast where I'll be doing one-on-one interviews. And I've been trying to figure out what the best way to get an introductory episode would be for mine. So I figured I could do someone else's podcast. They could interview me and that will serve as a vehicle for me to introduce myself on my podcast. Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. That makes total sense. Because what I found is people really click with stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like by having yourself being interviewed on your podcast, it's pretty. It's pretty smart, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I reached out. Uh, Angel reached out to me, and uh, you know he, he mentioned that he he had been through. He was you were a cook and a caseworker, or now you're a caseworker, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so it's just you know that radical change is is, is pretty inspirational. So I just want to talk about that. You know, conversate about that. You, you said that you came from a different country, Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I was more curious about like how, how that happened, how that was. Um, I'm, I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, when I was five years old, I came over here to America, to New York, specifically Brooklyn. Um, and I attended uh, kindergarten there and then went back to Puerto Rico. And I lived there till I was 11. That's where my parents lived. Uh, well, actually, my parents lived over here. And I grew up with my grandparents in Puerto Rico. I moved over here at 11 uh, to be with my parents. Yeah, I've been here ever since. I went back to Puerto Rico about a year ago. And uh, it it, it was kind of just a family choice. My mom had me when she was real young. She had me when she was 16. So she was, you know, kind of underprepared to, to raise a kid. And my grandparents were very involved with her. So they decided to just you know, kind of lend a hand. Um, and my mom came over here to America, like many people in Puerto Rico do, uh, to, to find more opportunities. Um, and so I stood behind. Uh, my mom had uh, my siblings while she was over here. And so, yeah, at 11 years old, it was kind of more of my choice. I guess they figured I was at an age where I could be given some, you know, autonomy and, like, deciding what I wanted to do. And I wanted to come to America because I grew up watching American television. I grew up on American culture. So I was dying to come over here. Wow. Okay. What was your favorite American part? 
about the culture. Yeah, I mean, I grew. <laughs> I'm a I'm an MTV child. I grew up on MTV, <laughs> so that was like my. That's like I'd watch that all day and just be like, oh man, you know, I really wish I was over there. So like Jackass and and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, I don't know MTV. What's going on now with it? It's pretty. I have pretty no weird clue. now. It's kind of falling off a little bit. I have no clue what's going on with MTV now. Um, yeah, it's just reality TV show, which is which is fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, one thing I found interesting too is, you know, you being a, a, a psychology major, you got your bachelor's in that. You know, how do you? How, why do art and history interest you? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually um, I'm working on my my major for psychology right now, and I so I got into psychology at a pretty young age i was about 13 when i got into just the topic itself and it's actually related to to the reason why i'm doing a podcast too when i when i got here from puerto rico i was kind of like a rocker kid kind of like an outcast type and at one point i was listening to one of the local chicago radio stations and at night around 10 10 to midnight they'd play a radio show called love line i don't know if you've ever heard of it Love line. I'm not sure what's it about. So it's it's not around anymore, but it was a show with a comedian. Uh, his name's Adam Carolla, and a doctor. His name's Doctor Drew, and they would pretty much take phone calls from a large group of people, but predominantly teenage people who were kind of dealing with a lot of stuff in life. You know, Doctor Drew was. Uh, an addiction specialist and he had a lot of knowledge in psychology and substance abuse. So people would call with like medical problems, with relationship problems, with like any type of problem to get their advice. And I'd sit in my room at night just kind of listening to the show because it, it was very like one of those nocturnal like, all right, this is inappropriate. And, you know, we're like just chilling here, hiding, listening to this. And I learned a great deal about people the human condition and being a kid who felt like an outcast myself it gave me an avenue by which i could see how other people were dealing with some of the issues that i was dealing with um so i'd hear them talk about different topics with people and i'd see the similarities in my life similarities with people i knew and all the psychology behind it the way they talked to guests was really something that like just sparked an interest for me to like pursue psychology and i didn't pursue it till i was almost 30 which is now hey man it's never too late to start but that's that's pretty cool so this is called love line yeah it's an old, an old radio an old talk show love line i mean you could go on youtube and they have they went from 1996 to 2005 so there's a ton of episodes and honestly listening back to them they're still super insightful stu super helpful if you're trying to like learn about radio or learn about, you know, kind of how to interview people, learn about psychology, like things like that. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's amazing. Yeah, man. I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. The guy, Adam Carolla. Yeah. And he's, he's got a, he's got a podcast now. Um, he's kind of changed the way he does things, but he's got mm -hmm. one of the biggest podcasts um, around now as well. So let me check that out. Adam Carolla. What do you know what it's called? So his his podcast is just the Adam Carolla show, and uh, it, they release episodes every day. He's got a ton of other podcasts. He's kind of considered to be one of the pioneers of podcasting because he he transitioned from like terrestrial radio to podcasting and 
pretty much build the brand when podcasting was just kind of like what we're doing more like individuals kind of talking he right. turned it more into like a machine that resembled radio and in, in a good way though you know that's pretty cool man yeah definitely have to check them out oh that's dope um another question i had you more more about um you know i know that you probably like earlier in your years you you probably weren't as wise as you are now so um becoming a tattoo artist what made you want to become a tattoo artist yeah uh i was not as wise when i was younger i mean i thought i had everything figured out so um coming coming from the background that i did uh i i come from a lot of like you know like i said i grew up with my grandparents um coming here with my parents i was very much a latchkey kid so i was just kind of left to my own devices um what's that mean latchkey Sorry. Yeah. So that that's an old school term they used to use. They they started really using it in the seventies. It's a latch key. So a latch key is like um, it's it's a lock that they used to use back in the day to lock doors from the I think inside, no, from the outside, one of the two. And it basically just means neglected. You know, you grew up on your own. So it's like your parents will leave, lock the door from the outside, and leave you in the house. Oh shit. So it's a term. If you ever hear anyone, and it's it is an old school term, like. Oh, I was a latchkey kid. That just means that their parents weren't around to watch them. <laughs> but uh, so so just kind of growing up that way, I was, again, left to my own devices. And I was, uh, you know, I was a kid. I was a punk rocker. I was a rebel. So I was just like, I don't want to go to school because this is useless. I'm not going to learn anything. I want to be an artist. I want to be a tattoo artist. First, it was I wanted to be in a band, but I got over that pretty quickly when I saw like the discipline you need for it. So I was like, all right, what else can I do? I, I've always drawn, so I was like, I love tattoos, so just my simple math was like drawing plus tattoos, I'll do it, and I'll drop out of high school and become a tattoo artist. <laughs> this was like 2006, 7, 8. At the time, tattoos were like the biggest thing in the world. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a tattoo artist. So I went, um, I had a couple friends who had equipment. I was like, let me borrow your stuff. They did, and I, for whatever reason, one of my other buddies was like, yeah, you can tattoo me. And I was like, <laughs> all right, dude, let's go. And I started tattooing. Yeah. I, I did I that. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I, don't have, I don't have any tattoos, but I know that I've I seen similar situations like the one you just explained. Yeah, no, it's, the, it's pretty much when you first start tattooing, unless you go and get an apprenticeship, which is a ridiculous amount of money, you're uh-huh. just going to find people who are... <laughs> <laughs> who are unwise enough to let you tattoo them and they're out who there look man. like a bathroom a high school bathroom dude it's crazy yeah I, I the first tattoo i ever did was like a huge but the first two tattoos i ever did were two huge back pieces so these people both have like the first one i did was um a former gang member who got the words lil demon tattooed across his entire back <laughs> the way his entire back dude yeah and it's actually if you go on my facebook um you can see a picture of that on there and it's actually i saw so this was like dude i mean this was 15 years ago and i saw the tattoo maybe some 10 years after and i was like surprised at how well it maintained and how well it came out it was freehand so I, I had no like uh, stencil like pattern to follow trace. I just did it with a pen, and then just hit it with the machines. Like 
yeah it's, it's actually all kind of ridiculous but you know that's crazy so your boy let him let, let you tattoo it yeah i don't know i don't know i mean he he didn't get it as bad as my second victim the second victim we did uh oh we did what's a what's it's a misfit skull so it's a logo for a band i'm actually wearing the shirt now and so i did that freehand on his back and at the time we were like oh man this is badass it looks great dude and i've seen it now and it's a nightmare it's re- and it can't be covered up practically like you'd have to get something oh, wow. huge yeah it's it's bad have they have they looked into like laser removal or something like i don't that? know shit i don't care i don't know what they got going on with their <laughs> tattoos i know my yeah. my guy that got the skull he he still like has it and he hasn't covered it up it's just wildly oh, wow. it's wildly impractically placed and it's wildly like like it's just not the tattoo that you can cover up without getting an entire bigger like more colorful piece it's it's crazy i I don't feel I don't feel bad because he doesn't seem to be too uh too bothered by it. <laughs> no, that, damn, that, that's wild though. But that's I mean, hey man, you got experience though. That's you, life. You're like well rounded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was Yolo right there. This guy, he's crazy. I was crazy <laughs> no, that as hell was too. For real, Yolo. <laughs> you see that? You see that commercial? No regrets. No, no. Oh, well, I I know the the tattoo though. Yeah, I've seen that tattoo. Yeah, it's no regrets. <laughs> no Yeah, I've seen one. It's no regrets. Yeah. Oh, there's no regrets. That's crazy. <laughs> so, why why did you become a cook at first? You know, being so, it was first you were a cook, and then you were a tattoo artist. So, did becoming a cook make you want to become a tattoo artist? No. So I started off as a tattoo artist. Um, oh, as sorry. a kid, yeah, that's right. I was like 15, 16 years old, and um, so so yeah, as a kid, like like I said, I I had a uh, my uncle had a construction company. I worked with him for a while. I worked warehouse jobs, you know, shipping and just that like soul draining type of work. And I had a pretty rough couple of years between like 17 and 21 where all I pretty much did was like smoke copious amounts of weed and tattoo people. <laughs> Uh um and you know being a tattoo artist is like all right i have no boss i have no schedule i make my own money so it's completely conducive to like living unhealthy lifestyles like i was pretty much exclusively existing nocturnally so i'd get up like at two three four five in the afternoon and start my day hit up people do a bunch of tattoos if i could go and eat go and smoke like and just do that over and i did that for like seven eight years and towards the end i was actually able to get into a tattoo shop um having have having put together like a decent portfolio and i i was like i said i was i was in a pretty rough patch between 21 and 17 and i was not feeling great uh, I was very antisocial apart from the clients that I had and like one or two friends. Um, dating was like a non-existing topic. Like I had no desire, no ability, just nothing. So I actually met a chick who uh, I'm a, I'm a fatty, you know, I love eating. I love going out and, and, and like stuffing my face at different places. I love food. I love everything related to food. So when I met this chick, she was like, um, 
Okay, because I was unhappy being a tattoo artist at that point, especially at the, the shop I was at. She was like, why don't you pursue cooking? You know, why don't you go cook? I was like, uh, well, I don't know, mainly because I have no experience other than cooking at home. But um, I loved it. It was like a, like a legit passion of mine. So I started just, I just dove into the cooking thing, like, researching and studying everything I possibly could in lieu of being able to go to like culinary school, you know, hours, days, weeks, months on YouTube for a whole year. I just look up recipes that I had an interest in. Um, I'd go buy the ingredients and I'd make it. And I did that for a whole year before I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm not going to be able to get anywhere with a resume that doesn't show any cooking. So I'm just going to be a dishwasher. Like I'll just be, a. will take the, the, Basically, the cliche like trajectory for a for a cook, you know, start from the bottom, start doing dishes. Um, eventually, the chef will ask you to chop something up. You could show him that you're good at that. Then they'll ask you to cook, and I'll move my way up. And I did. I cooked for three years, just cook well, like dishwashing for like a year. Uh, then I got a gig cooking, and one day one of my friends. Uh, hits me up and he's like hey dude i have this uh shelter that needs to cook i went and applied and failed so i figured you know how to cook so you should check it out so i was like hell yeah it's a job i mean like at the time i was like hopping from job to job because dude cooking is if you're not super passionate about it it could be soul draining too because chefs are assholes and it's hot yeah. it's miserable i could see that it's yeah it, it's it's rough it's rough so if it's not a passion of yours or something you can tolerate you should probably avoid it it's not a casual thing to jump into you know so yeah this dude was just like go check out this shelter they're gonna hire they're hiring people so i went and checked it out and they were i walk in and it's like the pantry is over there this is the kitchen we have to serve lunch in two hours it's 40 people um, just go ahead and make something. It's like, what? Holy shit. Like what? Are you serious? <laughs> so that's how you started working at a shelter. Okay. Yeah. Or help, helping at a shelter. Okay. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was working. It was like legit employment. It wasn't a volunteer. Oh, thing. it was le- okay. Yeah. So I'm like, oh man, I freaked. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what am I going to do? But at the same time, I'm like, so like y'all just going to leave me here. Like, this is my kitchen. Yeah. You could do anything you want. You cook anything you want, anytime you want. You have all your ingredients there. If you need anything, ask. And I was like, no way. Like, I have a whole kitchen to myself. Like, that's, you know, as a cook, if if your goal as a cook is to eventually be a chef, that's like a godsend. And I'm, like, just starting to cook, like, maybe two, two, three years in there. And I have my own kitchen now. And really, like... The standards are low because shelters work with what they have. So, you know, you you get a lot of, like, shelters just serve soups and sandwiches, and that is the case. But I was, like, on fire. I'm, like, I want to be a chef. I'm going to, like, go all out. So I did the same thing I was doing at home, but now I have, like, a whole kitchen to myself and, you know, so to speak, people to, like, try my food out and, like, kind of get feedback and, I I started cooking with them overnight, so I had like no interactions really with the people living there, the at the shelter. 
um, and no supervision, which was amazing. Um, and I started kind of just giving really my all to every meal. I was just like making the best meal I could possibly make going about it from the standpoint of like, I'm a cook, I'm a chef, I'm gonna put out the best product as opposed to like, I'm a cook at a shelter. Let me just get food out there, you know? Yeah, that's exact, dude. That's an awesome mindset, man. No matter like what your job is, you know, take pride in it. That's, that's dope, dude. Right. And yeah. I, I had always been very, like, I was the type of dude that if I'm in the street and, like, some like a homeless person walks up to me and asks me for a dollar, they will get that dollar. Even if it's the last dollar I had, I was like, oh, fuck. Now I have to give this person my money. Here you go. Yeah. So when I, when I started to see kind of the positive feedback and the difference that it made with the people living there, I was like, oh, like, I could do what I love and have a positive influence on people and like i'm being like like for first time in my life like appreciated in this way in this type of setting you know like where where what i did had some kind of value so once i started seeing the the difference i was making in that environment i was like oh okay i i want to cook but how can i become more involved with like actually helping people hands-on and that shelter was a mess um it was corrupt the executive director would the executive director was giving himself a ridiculous salary along with like the family members that he had like hired and put on his like uh in in other executive positions so they were being investigated and i was like acutely aware of everything bad he was doing and of the fact that he was being investigated so i was like I uh, don't want to get wrapped in all of this. I am out. They were making management decisions that I was like super against at the time. So I was like, all right, these people want to make super unqualified people in charge of me. These people are like shady as hell. They're being investigated. They're going to get shut down. So like I left, I was like, all right, I'll go work somewhere else. And I'm done with this place. It's, It's just, it's garbage. It really did turn pretty bad. Um, and so I went to just cook at regular restaurants, um, for, for a while. Uh, and so this transitions into how I got into like case management, right? I left that shelter, went to cook. And then like six, seven months later, I hear that, oh dude, everybody at the shelter got fired. So I was like, holy crap. Like for real? Like, yeah. Everyone yeah, got you fired. The bullet, man. yeah. So I'm like, okay, but they're open. Right. And they're like, yeah. They have a new director. I'm like, I'm on it. I typed up a fucking, <laughs> I typed up a long ass cover letter talking about, uh, hey, um, you know, my name's Angel. This is what I used to do. This is what I know. This is what I know was going on, and this is why I left. And the director, the the so the shelter having fired everybody, left themselves in a position where like they had all new staff, all new management. And no one to train anybody. So when I hit up the director, I'm like, hey, I heard you guys got rid of everybody. And I heard you have new staff. And again, this is all, these are all the things I know. And uh, she ignored me. She ignored my email. So I showed up in person, gave her my resume and the letter like in her hand and was like, I want to come back. So she was forced to look at it. And she was like, holy holy shit like you you know you know how to run everything and 
you know, they have like reports and things like that that they need to do to stay open. And I knew how to do that. So she was like, we're bringing you in. So when I came in the second time, I was by default senior staff because I was training all new staff. I was training, you know, like her and, and how we used to do reports because when I was working overnight, they'd leave like all the bullshit work for me to do. So I, I got to learn how to do a lot of stuff. So when I came back, I was like their most valuable employee. Um, and they, you know, I, I started. So when I started, I was an overnight cook. But when I started back with them, I had a dual position as just like uh, what they used to call a RA, residential assistant, and a cook. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So I took on both roles as a cook and uh, an RA and kind of like management. Um, and then they created a position where I was the lead RA of, you know, I was the lead of that department. So I was like in charge of training new people, in charge of volunteers, in charge of scheduling reports, like just basically everything no one wanted to do. And yeah, I was able through that to be like, have more interaction with the clients, be able to help them with more practical stuff than just like, here's your food. Like, you know, here's some job leads or like, oh, you need a resume, like sit down, let's do this. And that changed, pretty much changed my life, you know. And again, it was another one of those experiences where I was able to see that I had some value and people looked at me for, like, leadership, which to me was mind-blowing. It's like, you guys are fucking crazy if you're looking at me for any type of guidance, but you are, so let me get my, my shit together and kind of be exemplary, you know. Um, I mean, you got that, you got that like calm, cool and collective attitude. So like, I feel like you'd be a, like a reliable person to trust just right off the bat, like not even knowing you. you yeah. Know yeah. And I, I've, I've always been very chill, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I see that, man. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of always been. So when I was in high school, like I was, you know, I was a, a weird kid. I had a big, in my town, it was just a bunch of like Hispanic kids. So like it's a lot of gang bangers, a lot of white kids, a lot of like jocks and people like that i was like the only kid with like a big ass red mohawk and like <laughs> just like i look crazy as a as a kid so like but i was always able to navigate through all the different social circles so i'd hang out with the jocks i'd hang out with the ghetto kids i'd hang out with the freaks i'd hang out with like the nerds easily without any effort like it wasn't like i was trying to do anything it was just like hey guys and boom just click with people and yeah, you weren't a part of that, like, cast, you know, like, a, it was just, and it, you had no group, so to say. Right, and, that, it, and it helped, uh-huh. yeah, it helped It helped a lot later on when I was doing that type of work because you you come across a lot of different types of people, you know, um, and being able to communicate effectively with them and connect is, like, essential. So, and it was a skill that I never even knew I had, but I once I started noticing it, I wanted to develop it, you know, and kind of, like, see where I could get and who I could help with it. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, sorry to throw you off track. You were, you were mentioning that you, you learned about and your cooking experience. People looked up to you. Well, yeah. So when I, when I started kind of moving from the cooking to kind of just having more direct services and interactions, I, um, yeah, I started to see that, that, you know, I, cause again, it, it kind of all goes back to the love line show, which is I picked up a lot of wisdom that was, kind of beyond my years, you know, like I'm, I'm listening to a show with like a clinical physician doctor who's got a lot of insight 
and like a comedian who's got a lot of insight as a kid. And so now I'm in this situation where I'm dealing with a lot of people who have a lot of issues and like I can actually respond to them effectively and like guide them through some of the things that they're going through just because I had heard. So, you know, it's like, all right, it was a two hour radio show with a ton of callers every day. I listened to this for like close. Let me see from like 2000 and for like four years, just every night, almost religiously, like listening to all <laughs> sorts of people's complaints, problems. And so when I got to this environment, I was like, I can, I know what to tell you and your issue that you're having right now. Check this out. Like, look at this perspective. And I don't know people. Yeah, man. Oh my God. And I can see you mesh well with that. Like you're a, you're a chill type of guy who's had experience and like people like you becoming psychologists. It's so beneficial, man. Like, you see where I'm coming at? You see where the, the connections yeah. I'm trying to make? It's you, you, you have more perspective. Yeah. And it, that's what I think it is. It's it like, yeah, it, it's always helped me connect. Cause that, you know, a lot of people that go into psychology, they go into it and, you know, kind of like you have to be able to afford it, you know? So a lot of people that go into it have that, that privilege of like, they just come from different types of communities where they might not interact with as many crazy people as I have, but having that hands-on you know, experience with like very fringe types of characters since even since I was a kid growing up did give me like the ability to kind of relate to the people that I would eventually be serving, you know. But yeah, so like, yeah, once I started seeing kind of the difference I could make and started to see my my ability to take on like leadership roles, I started holding groups at the shelter where I'd get like groups of men and like, you know, talk to them, kind of work through issues and like build community. Yeah, it started to see my own potential and it didn't do much for me. I mean, I'll be honest, like from 23 to 27, 8, I kind of still just kind of was very mediocre in my attempts to to really go somewhere with anything. But yeah, no, as, as I started reaching that, uh, that 30 year mark, I was like, all right, holy shit. Um, I gotta, I gotta do something because I cannot live at my parents' house, you know, and not have like any real career like prospects, you know? And that was kind of where I was like heading. It was like about to be 30. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been cooking for six, seven years and, that's fine, but it's not something that I really want to do anymore. So I was kind of like at that crossroads, like, all right, I, you got to do something or, you know, kind of shit or get off the pot, as as they say, like, <laughs> I got to make a yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that saying. Um, but yeah, man, that's that's so cool. Like, you know, your life, exp how your life experiences, like you mentioned when you were 13, you know, you're still drawing back from that experience. Man, it's all the way in your subconscious. You're, it's insane, man, how that can affect your decisions. You know, it's, it's interesting that you, you say it that way because um, one of the connections that I recently made was between kind of how I grew up and being a kid and now is uh, when I was a kid, I grew up on Spawn. Are you familiar with Spawn, the comic book? Spawn. The dude who went up to heaven, killed everyone in heaven, killed everyone in hell. And then he was like, who wants to smoke? Yeah, I know. That dude is, dude, that's the coldest dude. He was a, he's in the new Mortal Kombat, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's the coldest dude. That man's cold. I, 
<laughs> so when I was like five years old, my stepdad was like obsessed with Spawn and he would buy me the toys and Spawn is not any type of children's entertainment or content at all at all at all at all all. (laughs) but i've always been kind of like a weird kid like you know batman and the joker were always my favorite as a kid like i like the darker images like that so i always loved spawn since i was five and spawn like you you kind of gave part of the story spawn was like all right you know starts off this dude is a cia assassin he's a horrible person here on earth dies and while when he goes to hell he's given a deal like all right if you sell us your soul and help the the satan's army basically um during the apocalypse when there's like this huge war between heaven and hell we will grant you the your wishes we'll grant you your ability to go back to earth and see your wife who you want to see so he yeah i hate to go off like on a tangent too but it's 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 connected to like all of it you know so he appears back on earth um and has no memory so slowly he's kind of piecing together like what happened so he realizes oh shit i sold my soul to the devil and i'm back on earth i don't know who i am he starts slowly figuring out who he is and so when he came back it was five years after his death and so his whole life, the, the only reason why he came back was because he wanted to be with his pregnant wife. He pretty much ends up in New York. He ends up living in the alleyways of New York um, with everything that entails, you know, junkies, homeless people, these, these weird, strange people that are kind of just disregarded by society. And, and, I would see this this character who who was a well-intentioned like brute who was just looked at as a freak as someone who was just horrible live in this alley with the only people that didn't judge him like the homeless people and the, the riffraff basically and he would protect them and he'd protect they protect him and that dynamic always stuck to me about outcasts and people that are kind of just disregarded by society and that's what i've always gravitated towards is the people that are disenfranchised and the people that kind of get left behind and i've always had an interest in being part of that and not leaving it behind while at the same time helping protect people like that and i'm not i'm not like a social justice warrior type I'm not like a bleeding heart hippie, like, oh, my God, the people need help and protection. Like, I'm not like that, but I am very adamant about helping and protecting people that need it, you know? Yeah, that's 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 awesome. So, yeah, well, I, we, I, I, yeah, my bad, I take you no, like no, all no. the way to left field. <laughs> no, no, you're good. So is that part of the reason that you pursue psychology, you know, being seen as that way and. Well, you know, I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. The, the psychology part just kind of came in with my interest and in like be, just being a fucked up kid, to be honest. Like, you know, like, why am I the way I am? What? Why have I dealt with like so much of like this, this um, conflict and like, you know, like, like the psychology part was just like figuring out myself and 
my way of being like my condition ah okay okay um but then like the the whole spawn thing and kind of growing up like that feeling like i needed to be part of like i guess a solution kind of just came later on when i started to see that i could have like i always wanted to have purpose like but that i could have purpose if i applied myself you know yeah yeah that makes sense you know when you, when you have purpose you, you you'll apply yourself and you did that by pursuing psychology i see that's awesome, man. That's so cool. You know, and, you know, psychology is such a broad, it's a broad topic, but, you know, as you probably already know, I'm, I'm not at probably, you've got a, you've got a bachelor's in psychology, which would probably more, know more than me, but, um, you know, what topics seem to interest you in psychology? I, I'd say like at normal psychology and substance abuse are probably the two things that I'm closest to, um, just from from having grown up around certain environments you know how to resolve just kind of like in in a sense practical psychology you know even though abnormal kind of deviates from that just being able to in a very simple way resolve and put together the pieces of like motivation and what drives people because a lot of the time people don't have access to insight i mean like as, as weird as that might be like a lot of people don't have that that uh encouragement or or avenue by which they can like explore themselves you know why do i do the things i do why do i act the way i do so i i like connecting those things for myself it's been very helpful and for people whenever i can i'm not an expert like or anything like that. Like I'm not a certified like psychologist. So like it's probably beyond my my pay grade and my actual ability to like diagnose people. But um, just kind of being able to have someone with an issue in front of me and be like, all right, you know, why do you think you've done this? Like what in your past has, you know, been a factor in, into you making these decisions now? Um, and it's really helpful for people to start being able to see what motivates them and, and kind of why they are the way they are. That's kind of been like my, one of my main, like, interests in psychology is kind of just piecing things together so people have the awareness of, like, why they are the way they are in order to make the changes that they need to. So. I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Back to abnormal psych, you know, I'm a little interested in that. My friend, he's, he's a psych major and my roommate back at college, mm. back at university. He, uh, he was talking to me about, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm taking abnormal psych this semester. I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. What's that about? And he was like, Oh yeah, we're learning about like, you know, telekinesis, freaking, uh, mind reading. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Is it, So I, I, I'm curious, is that what abnormal psych is about? Like, no, I mean that that's that's a interesting uh like way that they're doing. No, so so it's more of like kind of understanding the in a sim, in a simplified way like kind of the quirks and, and motivators that people have and how it affects them. And just yeah, studying like, you know, you study bipolar disorder, OCD, you study you know, like manic depression like you, you that's when you start getting into kind of like what all the different conditions that people have are when you start studying abnormal psychology oh okay so i was more of like like because yeah the mind I, the mind freak stuff 
yeah, like MK Ultra, the CIA was testing out um, what's it called? Um, how the brain can be like used as a weapon or something like mm-hmm. something crazy like that. And yeah. I just, you know, I thought that's like down the alley that they were going because the way he explained it to me, I was like, oh shit, that sounds badass, man. I mean, it's 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 all it's it's all kind of connected. Uh, I, I'm familiar with uh-huh. the M- MK Ultra um, project, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was that that was. Uh, I mean, yeah, boy, well, that's like a whole other. That's mind boggling, <laughs> dude. Wait, wait, what were you about to say about a whole other thing? Nah, it's just the, the MK Ultra topic is just like a whole other big topic. But like, I'm, I'm familiar with that. But not the, the normal psychology is more of just understanding some of the more common um conditions you know as a student like you start getting in so it's like you study introduction to psychology and that's just kind of like a really vague on the surface overview of of the topic and then if you're going to pursue psychology you have to study abnormal psychology and then that gets into more of the conditions that can be diagnosed within like people you know yeah man that's that's like the DS5, my friend, he was talking to me about it and how, and how it, it's, it, it, it's, it's the psychology book for, for conditions and mm-hmm. treatments. Am I right? Okay, him, yeah. cool. So yeah, yeah. He was explained um, that to me and he, and he was like, yeah, everyone's categorized and into these based on their conditions. Mm-hmm. And so now I was just like, wow, it's, I, I had no idea that there was a whole book and, and it's constantly revised yeah. as he, as he said, so like next year there'll be one con- condition and then the next year it'll be changed. Yeah. Like um there was one that was pretty big um I can't remember it. They changed uh, a letter. No, no, no. Never mind. No, I'm thinking of something else. But yeah, it's just it just that like constant revision of the DS5 is just it's it's fascinating, man, cuz we're still finding stuff out there. Yeah. You know, psychologically speaking. Yeah, and that's one of the things with psychology that it's not, it's not like the traditional sciences in that everything could be replicated and studied, right? So, you know, like in psychology, like you might have someone who grew up in an abusive household, um, and some people that grow up in that environment go on to abuse others, right? They grow right. up and they recreate those environments, but at the same time, someone else could grow up in the same circumstances and not become an abuser. So it's like psychology can't, you know, one plus one isn't always going to equal two in psychology, which, which makes it a really hard science to get into. And it makes it so that some of the real scientists, right. Um, are constantly trying to like devalue the, the, the purpose and like, you know, of psychology. So it's, it's interesting in that way. It's a lot of what we consider to be abnormal is based on what society has going on. So behaviors that might now have been normalized and considered to just be everyday things 20, 30, 40 years ago were not. So for example, homosexuality, up until I believe the mid eighties was considered a diagnosable mental illness. Right. Um, and that changed because we have a better perspective of it now. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so psychology has been changing 
in that way constantly, you know, like back in the day, ADD, ADHD wasn't even a diagnosis, wasn't something that people looked at as something that could be treated or mitigated through treatment or whatever. So it is constantly changing. Um, right now, I think one of the big movements in psychology and socially is removing people, for example, who are trans. So like the whole trans issue is maybe up until like 10 years ago has been considered like a mental illness. Right. And that, that's something that, that, that there's a lot of efforts being made to change how that's perceived, you know, depression, like depression, things like that. Like all of these things become less taboo and more accepted some of it might 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 get changed from like being a mental condition like i like i mentioned before homosexuality was considered to be a mental condition and now it's known that it's not you know um so yeah that book is constantly changing every i, I wouldn't say every year but it changes i think like every five years or so and i could be totally wrong too but it's constantly changing do you think that the ds5 was was meant to label people for organized society, like to, to, to basically categorize people. Do you, do you, do you think that, I mean, or what do you think about it? And in, in some, in some ways, you know, you could say that, um, and see that. So there, this is like a big, uh, issue with psychology and mental health. It is the labeling. Um, you know, nowadays is very taboo, and considered kind of unfair to just start throwing labels on people. Um, so it's another another means for people to kind of come down on psychology, which is the labeling part, like and diagnosing things. In a way, it is, yeah, you're going to have a label put on you based on different behaviors that you partake in. Um, but that isn't so much the issue as much as how society reacts to different things, you know? So bipolar disorder is, um, is something that now is coming out and recognized and acknowledged as something that's legit. Um, instead of just being treated like, Oh, well that person's just an asshole or they have mood swings cause they're horrible and we don't want to deal with it. You know, now we understand that not like people with bipolar disorder, might be fine today, might be fine tomorrow, and the next day they might be just the worst person to be around, and then the next day after that they might be okay again. Or within one day you might go through that whole spectrum of behaviors, you know. And a lot of the time people like that were just kind of just put to the side. It's just like, all right, he's an asshole, he's crazy, whatever. But now we're starting to understand that now some of these behaviors aren't behaviors that people really want to partake in. Like no one wants to get up in a great mood, all sunshine and like butterflies. And then like half hour later be just crying and manic, you know, and then after that be functional again, like no one wants that. So society does have a certain responsibility to recognize like what's mental illness, be aware of it and try to understand it as more than just choices. People make addiction is treated the same way. Oh, well, you choose to get high. You choose to do this. So, you know, if you want to stop, just stop. When it's not that simple, you know? So in a way, it is just kind of something for people to get, like, 
labeled and you know kind of fragmented and 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 just compartmentalized but at the same time is really useful because we need to have insights into the way people think so that we could be aware of one another and what the motivating factors are and yeah how how to treat people you know based on their circumstances and I can see how that helps because it offers treatments. So it's not right. its not like it's just labeling. Mm-hmm. It offers his treatments. I was talking to my cousin about this. He said that uh, he was taking a sociology course. And I, for some reason, they were in a topic where they were studying the DS5. And, and you know, he explained to me a little bit more because, you know, I thought I my I what I thought before being educated on it a little bit um, was it was just labeling people. And that was unnatural. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not because you know you're labeling people and you're you're disrupting the natural order of things, but in turn it, it's actually you know it's, it's it's helping people you know cope with with treatments and the fact that it's being constantly revised, you know it's just it's fascinating yeah. the fact that people are still learning. Yeah, like it's like science in the sense that you know there's there's if. The, like there's still new things being found out about it. It's yeah. 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 And, and you know, that, that to me, it's, it's, I'm sorry to cut you off. That to me, it's just, yeah. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, so, it's, it's ever changing. I mean, and it's funny cause it's like, this is us, this is our own minds and we still have no clue what the fuck's going on. Just like, yeah. like we don't have any clue of anything. Like we don't know what's going on in space. We don't know what's going on in our oceans. We have no clue what's going on ever about anything. Oh, but man, um, man, dude, yeah. <laughs> so, so like, and and I, I kind of grew up with a lot of, like that mentality too, like oh, labels and like we're not, we're more than this, we're more than that. But like, one of the things that's helpful to, I guess, like a different perspective on that is awareness. Um, like people, for example, like a topic that I hear that I've been hearing a lot about lately is people's desires and declarations to be like, oh, I don't see color. Like, I don't see race, you know, and it's like, oh, so, wow, you're like you're you've transcended race and you're highly enlightened. That's cute. But at the same time, disregarding race and the differences that that might bring is irresponsible, too. Because you're not considering the circumstances that the person has gone through, right? So it's like you can't you can't walk up to a woman and be like, "Oh well, I, sorry, I don't see gender." Because now you can't treat that person and take into account the different dynamics that are incorporated into that person. So by labeling people and kind of picking out these different elements of who they are you can be aware of them and treat them properly you know yeah because you're neglecting that whole perspective like Mm -hmm. what they've been through exactly and yeah and i feel like you know you know the fact that you're that you're explaining all this to me is giving me hope for the future because you know it it goes to show you that like we're as a generation, we're, we're growing from the last, you know, because I you know, talk to my dad and it, 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 I love my dad. Don't get me wrong, but it, <laughs> I sound like a kid when I say this, but the way the way they're thinking, like, of course, he's, he's always you know going to be a provider. But like the way that they're thinking, it's not they're not understanding the that they're old school thinking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, what I'm trying to get at. So like we're more aware of these things like transgender, like pronouns, mm-hmm. like um 
you know, and I just, I think that brings a whole new, like, a whole new generation like we're more like enlightened yeah it's it's a matter of awareness and and consideration like Uh every generation because dude you're gonna get like okay so i'm i'm how old are you if i can ask um i'm 20 okay (laughs) we're we're like a solid generation apart right so all right you will get to a point probably in like you're like 27 28 where you're going to start being like, what the fuck are these kids doing? Like, what's going on with these kids? What is this music? What's up with these kids? They're insane. And you're going to see like, holy shit, I've, I've just turned into every adult I ever came across as a young yeah. person. And it's nuts because you don't even see the transition. All of a sudden, you're just like, like for me, it's like, I'm I'm watching whatever, like I'm listening to whatever. And all of a sudden, like, <sighs> Lil B comes on. <laughs> right you know little b okay and like like little b the bass god might be like kind of absurd to even people of his generation and like you even but at the same time i've i've seen kids that are like legit like nah i'm all about little b like bass god i'm like what and and i know this is what our parents felt or my parents felt when they saw me get into like marilyn manson like what what is wrong with you what's going on why do you kids like this and i i found myself on that like level like being like what is this little b nonsense like little yachty like for real like is what you guys are on but i i have an appreciation for music so i i can i see what people find interesting in these things you know so but you'll do you'll you'll hit that point, man, and you're gonna be like, and you're gonna you're gonna look at yourself and be like, what happened with me? When you're like, what's going on with these kids? And you're like, oh shit, yeah. I'm old now. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a recluse, man. I like I like sticking to myself a little bit, but but yeah, I see I see what you're I see what you're getting at. It's, yeah, it's 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 a it's. Dude, I am too, yeah. man. I'm a recluse too. I this whole quarantine, it's like okay, dude. I'm gonna be fucking quarantined inside for a month. Like, I literally did like 15 years of that. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. But um, man, what's a what's a case manager do, man? So basically, so here here I'm in I'm in Chicago. You know that you're in Illinois too, no? right? Yeah, uh, no, I'm in the suburbs. In the, yeah, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. As a case manager, there's different types of case managers. There's vocational case managers. There's like you know substance abuse case managers, like um, C- CDAC or it's like substance. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, basically we take people. So the way that works, just like from the ground up, it's like okay, anyone that goes into a shelter has to go through the city. What that means is that the city has a building somewhere. Uh, it's on Kedzie and Madison in the city. And you go there or you call 311 and you tell them your situation. Hey, I'm homeless. I'm trying to look for a shelter. So every shelter that receives funding from the city calls this building every morning and tells them how many beds they have available. And so when people come experiencing homelessness to this building, they will call a shelter and be like, hey, you guys reported having a bed open for a male. We have a male here who would like to get into your shelter. And so they're connected to the shelter and they're brought over. Now, when you get to the shelter, you're assigned a case manager. Your case manager is basically just someone who's going to help you navigate the situation by helping you find resources. So 
I'm just a middleman between someone in need and the resources that are available to them. There are a ton. I'm not going to get like political, right? But one of the things I hate uh, to hear is that this country doesn't take care of its people. We don't take the best care of our people, but there is every resource you need to not end up in the street is available to you. If you're, especially if you're a citizen, there is a, a huge gap in services for people that are immigrants, especially undocumented people. Um, it's hard for them to get the services that they need. But if you're a citizen in a big city like Chicago, there are endless resources for you to tap into. And it's my job to connect people with them. So at the shelter, at the shelter I work at, we have 40 people. Not right now, but normally we have 40 people. And three case managers. So every case manager is assigned a person. And yeah, it's just my job to connect them to housing. So I put them on different waiting lists. Uh, I help them find apartments. Um, I also connect them to whatever, whatever resources they need. So if they don't have any um, health insurance, I'll connect them to the Department of Human Services and get them Medicaid so that they could go to one of the local hospitals. I will help them find employment, you know, help them get connected to temp agencies, help them sign applications online if they don't know how to do that too well. I'll make them a resume if they need it, sign them up to get like food stamps, unemployment, whatever, whatever it is that they need. It's my job to connect them to that service. A lot of people are kind of, you just point them in the right direction and they take care of it. Some people need extra help. Like I might have a client who, like I've been working with a client who's autistic and he's 40 years old, and he didn't find out he was autistic till he was 40 years old. He managed very well on his own for a number of years, and in recent time, he started having some issues, whether they were uh, initiated by, like, some of his, his mental health um, started declining, um, and he ended up in the street. Uh, and so this is someone who, like, for example, I can't just be like, all right, go to your appointment and take care of that, I have to go with him. So I'll go with him to his appointment, make sure that if he communicates with anyone, there's nothing lost in translation and that they understand what he needs and so he could get what he needs. Go to Social Security office with him. So I have different clients who, who require different levels of involvement, but my job is to connect them to what they need in order to find them a place to stay independently. That's the, that's the short, long version. <laughs> Oh, okay. No, I get it. That's so okay. Yeah, so I just manage. Sense. I manage their case basically. It's like, all right, you need a job, go over there. You need medical attention, go over there. You need this, go over there. So, what do you do if you run into like a like an angry client, like someone who's like really, you know, you know, what I'm talking about like someone <laughs> who's not very agreeable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so so. Really, it depends on the person. Um, uh huh. So there's, there's no one good approach, but I guess that's, that's where we're being flexible and kind of being able to relate to different people comes in handy. Cause I might have someone who is like, all right, you know, I've been locked up for 10 years. I just got out, you know, um, and people like that will have their own issues with like anger and things like that. And I think, um, 
I mean, I think the, the, the most like universal element of being able to work with people who are angry or, or having those types of difficulties is building rapport and relatability. So they have to be able to trust you and they have to be able to think or know that you understand what they have going on. Without that, you're, you're not going to be very useful to them, you know? And this is not to say that I can do that with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, in the so among the homeless population, something close to 80 percent, 70 something percent of women have been victims of things like sexual assault. Right. So when I have a female client, I might be able I might not be able to make the progress that I need to with that person because of some of the traumas that they've survived. They might not feel comfortable having a case manager that's a male. I might say the wrong thing. I might look like the wrong person. Like there's just, you, you never know what that person that you're working with is, you know, the baggage that they're coming in with. So you have to be like hypersensitive and aware of where they're at, you know, cause I might get someone like that who's been a victim of a couple horrible things. So I might not be able to get through, but like another female staff member might, you know, but I don't know. There's dude. There's people who you who you just go like, "Hey, uh, tell me what's bothering you." All right, okay, okay, and they feel better. There's people who you have to like, kind of reel them in, and get on that level with them. Like, there's people who will not respect you unless you get loud with them and just cut them off and go like, "No, no, 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 we're not doing that shit today. We're gonna focus and we're gonna do this, this, and that." And they'll be like, they'll actually. I've had people thank me. Like I, I had a dude who used to come to the old shelter I worked at. I liked him, but he was a dick. So he'd <laughs> come in and he'd be a dick to everybody on staff and just like demand all these things and just be like horrible. So I always used to try to be like, have the same approach, like be understanding, be cool, be nice. And it never worked. The nicer you were to this dude, the the more horrible he was. So one oh, day wow. he comes in and he's just demanding whatever he's demanding. And um, it wasn't, he spoke Spanish, I spoke Spanish, but basically it was like, dude, calm the fuck down. I am not, (laughs) like, I am not going to help you with what you're telling me right now unless you calm down. And if you don't, you could be escorted out by the cops, but I'm not dealing with this shit today. And he looked at me, he stops and he goes like, he smiles and he like shake, he nods his head like, yeah, like. All right, now <laughs> now you've earned my respect. Let's talk. And he never did that to me again. But like he really looked at me like, oh, all right, so you, I could respect you. Let's let's yeah, move on. He's now. like, you're not a pushover, okay? <laughs> yeah. So you have let's to be see. able to detect that, and then you don't want to do that to the wrong person either. You know, you don't want to right. flip out on someone who's just kind of vulnerable and like not knowing how to deal with things. You know, because mm-hmm. you, I, yeah, you got to be able to see like, all right, is this dude just an asshole? Or are they just dealing with something not well? And this is what, right. how they're acting, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, is that is that what your podcast is going to be about? Sort of like helping people in, in that way? Or how's, how's that? All right. So the podcast thing, all right. I, I just had this conversation with one of my friends who I was telling, like, yeah, the podcast market is like mad saturated. So million <laughs> podcasts. And, and I don't know, you know, so he's like, why are you even doing a podcast? You know? And I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing three podcasts. He's like, so you're just oversaturating the market even more with three whole podcasts. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have 
three projects that I'm working on. Uh, my primary project right now is one called Almost Positive. That is going to be a podcast where me and my friend kind of give our perspective on different topics. So there's no specific topic other than culture. Yeah, just culture, you know, whatever culture, culture it says, entertainment, politics, um, news, you know, media, art, all of it. So the way we do that is, uh, like I told you earlier, I'm a huge fan of old school talk radio. So shows mm. like Loveline are like, that's my jam. Have you ever heard of Howard Stern? Yeah, Howard Stern. Old school Howard Stern in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so it's essentially garbage radio, but it's great. Mm. That's that's the type of show that I grew up on, and that's what I like. So I want to do something similar in that it'll be very, it's very structured. <clears throat> so it's like, you know, first 20 minutes, me and my guy kind of do like a little catch up. Like, what have you been up to? This is what I've seen. This is what I've been doing, blah, blah, blah. 20 minutes in, we're trying to make or get phone calls. We have no way to get phone calls now, so we'll just call somebody and see what's going on with them. Um, and then for the last, it's an hour and a half, for the last like 40 minutes or so, we do news. So in the news, we'll just cover culture, politics, entertainment, media, whatever. Eventually, I want to have a news girl, like old school talk shows used to. It's like this yeah. is the news person. She does the news. It's like I, so I want to structure that podcast just completely around old school talk shows like that. So, you know, segments, um, recurring guests, people that like, here's our dude that talks about talking it here's our guy that so right now we have one of our friends he's got a segment we're calling um destination unknown he's been tasked with every week bringing us nonsense from the internet um so last time and so basically we'll have him bring us like three or four things last time he brought us uh a video that i can't even remember what it was something dumb an article and, and like two online quizzes so we took the online quizzes, we watched the video, and then the article was a Wikipedia article about a dude who, in the nineteen, in the early 1900s up until the 1920s, used to perform surgeries on men with erectile dysfunctions. So what he what? used to do was he would take people's testicles out and replace them with goat testicles to cure erectile dysfunction. So this was the article that my buddy brought us for the podcast. So we read it and we just kind of gave our, our hot take on it. Like what the fuck's going on with this? <laughs> what? And so, so this is what he does every week. He brings us like some, some crazy internet stuff that he finds. And we just, we'll have him explain it to us. We'll check it out. Then at the end, I'll give him a, a review on like, all right, this is horrible. How dare you bring this to our show? It's a respectable <laughs> How show. How dare you? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that that's like that's our my my primary project that I'm kind of like putting my effort into. It's a yeah. lot of like um, a lot of productions. I'm talking about like old school talk radio, like you know, with the drops, the sound effects, and all the nonsense. You know, like yeah. all of that. You know, segments, recurring guests, um, very ingest. None of it is very serious. I mean, it's called almost positive because it's like we aren't experts on anything and we're not pretending to be here to inform anybody about anything other than this is what we think about these things. Yeah. And we, we 
you know, I'm I'm trying to find the balance between like being just careless and like this is our show, who cares? And being like, all right, we want people to come on the show and not be like, I don't want to go on that show. You guys are nuts and this is offensive. Um, yeah. But but that that's the gist of that. It's like just nonsense and and it's or it like is absurdist type humor. Kinda, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it could be offensive. I, I had one of our friends listen to it to one of our episodes where we talked about the new Barbies and how they're making them with different body types. Um, you know, like they got a tall, skinny Barbie, they got a short, skinny Barbie, they got like a plus size Barbie. So mm-hmm. we were talking about that and making jokes about it. And I was just yeah. kind of kind of going on how like, oh, how about men? Why don't men get different Ken dolls? Why don't uh, we yeah. have like a short fat Ken, balding <laughs> Ken? You know, so this this chick heard heard our conversation she like offended she's like man you guys added nothing constructive to this conversation about inclusivity and you guys are juvenile and perpetuating the patriarchy so i was like oh yeah shit. it's all about preference <laughs> at that point i mean follow the podcast you want to follow us but yeah yeah so uh so we, yeah. we we do we do we do kind of just fuck around and talk a lot of shit on that show but <laughs> I, yeah, man, send me a link to that. Yeah, no, no, yeah, you're, you're, I got you, cause, uh, like I said, I, I this, like this whole thing has, has been kind of like an experience, and I, I want to network with people and start Hell tomorrow. Yeah, man, yeah. We'll upload our first episode zero and episode one, and that'll be from then on. It's like every week, like Clockwork's gonna be on Sundays. We've already been doing it for two months almost. Um, oh wow! But. Yeah, so that's that. I'm doing another project that's serious. So that's the one I mentioned to you. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Breaking Cycles. Breaking Cycles. Um, that's my serious show. That's what I'm going to use this episode we're recording for as an introductory mm-hmm. episode. I see. Um, that's going to be one-on-one interviews, basically with people who you normally don't hear from. Um, who can offer a lot so, of perspective. So I, okay, I see. It's like outcast sort of. Yeah. So my, okay. my goal with that, I have a t- extensive list of people I want to talk to, like written down. And I've actually confirmed a few of them who are willing to come on and talk to me. Um, with that, I just want to give a voice to people that you normally don't hear from. I have a couple of my college professors I'm going to interview. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had people who have been in the shelters I worked at in the past who have been or are homeless, who, whose perspective I want to put out there. Um, basically anyone with an interesting story who could hold a conversation for half an hour, I want to get on there and show what it is. Cause you know, most podcasts are, you know, interviews with famous people, interviews with like people trying to sell you a book or whatever nonsense. Right. I want to interview people who are just going to be able to add to the conversation and offer perspective that you don't hear from normally, you know? Yeah. So that's my other project, Breaking Cycles. Um, that's going to be up soon. I already have an episode I recorded with a friend of mine that volunteered at the last shelter I worked at who lives in Germany, and he's a rapper. Um, so I, I did an episode with him, showed off a little bit of his music, and talked to him about his experiences, like, how how did you end up in Chicago in the hood, straight out of Germany? Like, what was that experience like? You know, so yeah. 
I have that one and then I'll have this one as an introductory thing. And I'm doing a podcast with my girlfriend. Um, we just sit, sit down half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour and just kind of talk like that one is kind of like just something that I'm doing for fun, um, to upload here and there, like maybe tw two episodes a month or one. Um, <clears throat> cause dude, I don't know if you've ever like ventured into looking at like podcasts with couples like at all. I, yeah, the Latino ones I have, I think there's one in specific. It's a Latino couple. Is it good? I forget. Um, I think, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's yeah. not really, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really focus on that, but I'd assume it's like, I don't know. You just, you know, talking about like how, shit you do in a relationship. I <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No. I don't so, know. so there, there's, there's a, I couldn't find a good, podcast like couples podcast that i was like all right I, i could listen to this you know some of them are just too focused like there was one podcast i found was like talking about comic book characters and their romantic relationships and and doing like psychology on that topic so i was like uh -huh. I, i don't want to listen to this yeah a lot of the the, the couples podcasts they're, they're just cringy And I'm sure ours will be, I'm sure, like, I'm certain ours will be just as cringy, so. Eh, you never know if you don't try, so, yeah. I, well, I am, and that that's going to be our attempt, yeah. but I know it's going to be cringy. Every couple's cringy. It's. Yeah. Eh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, you know, that being said, uh, you know, I always ask this question, this is the, the ending question, to, to basically seal it. You know, if, what, what drives you, put simply, to do all these things? What, yeah um what's the driving force behind your actions yeah the, the the ability for you to get up every day and say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and do that so right now like personally in in my life i'm i, I was just asked this question uh recently how, how are you doing i was like fucking i'm better than ever like really <laughs> in the pandemic and you're doing better and it's like yeah i'm doing better than ever like, yeah personally you know like i'm blessed to have the job that i've wanted for years You know, at a certain point when I decided to, I'm going to get my life together, um, I was like, I'm going to make a five-year plan, get my bachelor's, and at the end of that, I'm going to be a case manager. I got that job, like, the same year I got my GED and started everything. So, you know, like, my job, I find purpose in it. I find, you know, like, value in it. So I'm just super thrilled and happy to, to, do, to be able to do it. As far as, like this whole podcast thing um i honestly i dude i could talk for hours so part of it is like just mm -hmm. uh just a a vehicle like a, a an outlet for me to not drive the people i'm around crazy all the time mm -hmm. um and uh you know just wanting to seek perspective from different people you know and 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 share what i've accumulated throughout the years with other people Thank you for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, but yeah, the experience and the, the shit that you talk about, man, I, did, I vibe with it. And oh, not vibes a little bit, but I understand where you're coming from. And I think the perspective that you bring is, is like fascinating. It's just, it fascinates me. But I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you, bro. It was good talking to you. Uh, we yeah, it was good again. talking to you too, man. For sure, dude. Uh, yeah, we'll connect again, man. So we'll stay in touch. Thanks yeah. a lot. All right, bro. See ya. Peace.